There are a lot of words in the Bible that are precious. The word love, the word forgiveness, a lot of great words in the Bible. But this morning I want us to focus on a series of words that are mentioned as many as 68 times in the Bible. 63 times, excuse me. Of those 63 times, 48 of those times are in the Old Testament. 15 of those times are in the New Testament. It's the words, fear not. Fear not. What we see in verse 10, fear thou not, is found four times in the Bible. The word fear not, when we find it used, is always delivered by God at the right time. At a necessary moment. When the person or people it's being directed to are at the end of their life, even at the end of the rope, and they feel like the bottom is pulled out from under them. It is the word that God gave to Abraham when he was filled with fear. When God said, fear not, Abraham, for I am thy shield and exceeding great reward. It is the word God gave to the courageous general Joshua. Joshua had seen many battles, many victories. But embarrassingly lost a battle at a city called Ai. And feeling uncertain about his leadership, feeling uncertain about his faith, at a critical moment, God came to Joshua. And he said, Joshua, fear not, neither be dismayed. Take the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to Ai. It's the word of encouragement God gave to the prophet Daniel. One of my favorite, favorite books of the Bible. I, mean, I love all the books of the Bible, but I love reading Daniel. The more I read Daniel, the more I get inspired by Daniel. The more I realize how insignificant I am. And Daniel was a man that was a prophet of God as far as we know. He never married. Daniel was up in years, and in Daniel chapter 9, he had been given many, many uh, prophet, prophetical visions by God. In fact, if you want to validate that the Bible is truly the Word of God, just read the book of Daniel, and you'll notice that all the historical events that have already transpired, that are prophesied of, that they were all fulfilled later on, and that in itself validates that, that through history that the Bible is the Word of God. But at a low point of his life, where he just recognized how sinful he was as a believer, God said to Daniel, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. It was the words that God gave to a man by the name of Zacharias, who was married to a woman by the name of Elizabeth, who together, who were an old couple that could not have children, they were past the age of bearing, and yet God came to him and says, Zacharias, fear not, thy prayers are heard. And God was telling him, every day that you come to the altar of incense and you offer up a prayer that you might have a son, I'm going to bless you with a son. And Zacharias and Elizabeth would be the parents that would bring forth John the Baptist into the world, who would be the forerunner and the announcer, the, the announcer concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the words that God gave to a young teenage woman about the age of 16, 17, who was betrothed to be, to be married. Her name was Mary the Virgin Mary, and he said, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. He gave her this awesome message that she would bring forth the, the, the Messiah, the Christ child of the world by way of a virgin birth. That was just so overwhelming to her because biologically, a virgin birth is not power, possible. It never happened before. It's never going to happen again. It only happened one time in history. And when she heard those words, she was scared. First, she was scared about who she was as a teenager. She was scared because she came from a poor Galilean town, a town of Galilee called Nazareth. I mean, everything about her, she was the, just, from a human perspective, the wrong person for the, for the job description. But God said, you are the right person. He said, Mary, I don't want you to be afraid. 
Fear not, you have found favor with God. Let me say this today. You might be someone who feels very insecure about where you're at in life. You feel like God can't use you. You feel like God cannot forgive you. You feel like God doesn't care about you. I've got some good news for you. God does care about you. And God does love you. And God does favor you. And God looks at you. And he looks at you just like he looked at the little virgin Mary. And he said, fear not, for thou hast found favor with God. It's the words that God gave God gave to the shepherds that night when Jesus was born as they were out in the, sh- in the fields wa- uh, taking care of their flocks and the shepherds appeared and they were filled with great fear. But the, but the, the, the angel of God said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Notice verse 10 with me again. The Bible says here at a critical time in Israel's life, he said, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God gave a precious promise. A promise, I hope, that when I'm done preaching today, you'll memorize. You'll embed it in your heart. You'll remember that when you're going through a trial. You'll remember it when you have a bad doctor's diagnosis. You'll remember it when you're going through a health trial. You'll remember it when you have a friend that is suffering, that God will put it in your mind to share that verse with them. You'll remember it when maybe when you're at death's door. You'll remember it at a critical moment of life that there is a God in heaven who says, Fear not, I am with thee. This morning I want us to focus on these precious words. Words that Dr. William Anderson said as follows when he was on his deathbed. He said, what a grand staircase that is upon which to go to Christ. In other words, as he was on his deathbed about ready to leave, and he was a little bit concerned about the hereafter. And even though he was saved, it was just saying goodbye to his loved ones and realized that he would not see them in this life any longer. A friend of his came and quoted Isaiah 41, 10 to him. And he said, what a grand staircase to go upon before I meet Jesus Christ. I want to declare to you this morning of all the wonderful promises of the Word of God that we can claim, that we can hold on to, that can get us through our trials, that can get us through the water, that can get us through the fire, that can get us through the storm, that can get us past death, that can get us past disease, that can get us past bad news. It's these words, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. By the way, he is your God if you know him as Savior. For I am thy God, I will strengthen thee, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Notice, first of all, this morning, God gives us some assurance. He gives us three wonderful assurances in this passage of scripture. Assurance number one, we find in verse, verse four, God gives us the assurance of his sovereign preeminence. Look at verse four. God is making a statement that he does by way of a question. In other words, he's talking to us and he asks a question in terms that the response, the rhetorical response would be, well, of course, it's you, Lord. Of course, it's nobody else. And he makes, these, he makes a question here that speaks about his sovereignty. He says, who has wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? He says, who has done these wonders? Who can do what I do? Who can work it and accomplish it? And calling the generations from the beginning. And there he's talking about from the beginning when God made Adam. Adam, from that time up to now, who, who has wrought and done it? He declared from the beginning, he said, I am the Lord, the first and the last, I am he. Now, the word sovereign is a word that we use doctrinally, uh, perhaps more, more than you probably would in common, common terms, and you might be afraid of the word sovereign. The word sovereign, when we use it, applies to God. It's talking about the greatness of the attributes of God. When we say God is sovereign, we're saying God is holy. We're saying God is in control. We're saying there's no one greater than God. We're saying that God is absolute. We're saying God is all truth. We're saying that God is perfect. We're saying that God is creator. We're saying that God is perfect. We're saying that God is righteous and there's no sin in God. We're saying that God is eternal. 
eternal, that there's no beginning and there's no end. When we talk about sovereign, we're talking about a God who's comprehensively in control of all things. Let me say this this morning. You might feel like things in your life are spinning out of control. Or you may wind up one day at a place where your life, you feel like your life is spinning out of control. I want to remind you, it may feel like it's spinning out of control, but God is always in control. God is always on time. God is never late. God is never too early. God is never too late. God is always on time. God is always God. Nothing changes God. Elections don't change God. Dictators don't change God. Tyrants don't change God. Economic collapses don't change God. The lack of a, a, a lack of a cure for a disease doesn't change God. I want to remind you today, God is sovereign and he is sovereignly preeminent. Now the word preeminent means he should have first place. He should have the number one priority spot in our life. The Bible says in Colossians 1.16 that in all things Jesus Christ might have the preeminence. May I share with you a secret that's so important today? God, Jesus Christ wants to be first in your life. And Jesus Christ should be first. And by the way, may I say this this morning? May I say this by way of compliment? Thank you for being in church today. Thank you for watching church today. Thank you for honoring God because you know what? By setting aside this hour, you are telling God, you are first in my life. By worshiping God and opening his word and coming to worship God, you're saying that God is preeminent in your life. And so he's sovereignly preeminent. Now I believe in the, in the, in the sovereignty of God. I believe he's in control. I believe he's all powerful. But I do not believe, nor does the Bible teach, such a sovereignty that God does not allow you and I to have free will. When God made you and I, he made us with individual soul liberty. Now you want to remember that term. Individual soul liberty you hear mainly used in a, uh, among us among, in the Baptist circles because it defines how God made us. God is powerful. God is in control. He is sovereign. But he made you and I with 100% volition and free will. You can choose. You chose to be in church. You chose to be in live stream. You choose between good and evil. By the way, if you're not saved, you must choose today to either accept Jesus Christ as Savior or choose not to receive Jesus Christ either. You choose to go to heaven or you choose to go to hell. You choose to live for God, you choose not to live for God. God has made us with individual soul liberty. We have the ability to decide for God or against God. We either obey God or we disobey God. So when we consider sovereignty, sovereignty is balanced by the fact God has given us free will. We are not like those who hold to what we call a Calvinistic theology, which says that God's sovereignty is so strong that we have no choice in the matter of being saved. I want to tell you, God loves you so much, He gives you that choice. He loves you so much, He allows you to exercise that choice. I'm thankful that on December 4th, 1971, when after hearing the gospel many, many times on that night, I made the choice to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm glad I realized that I had that free choice. And I always wonder if I did not receive Jesus Christ as Savior that night, would I have had another opportunity? Would I have ever received Him as Savior? And I'm thankful today that I trusted Christ. You ought to be thankful today that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you accepted Him and received Him, that you made the right choice in calling upon the Lord to save you. Now notice, if you would please, the sovereign preeminence. As we look at this chapter here, leading into what I want to get, I want you to notice God is at work. God is at work in the world. You may feel like God is not at work, but God is at work. God is doing some things. And notice, first of all, we see the sovereign work of God in potentates. Look at verse, if you would, uh, verse 2. A potentate is a, a name that refers to kings, rulers, government officials. 
You may not agree with this statement, but I even believe that President Donald Trump, who is our president right now, I even believe that God has worked through him. I believe churches are in a better condition today because he's president than if he wasn't president. I believe that there's some liberties and freedoms we have today that we're not, otherwise would not have. Let me just say today, you may not agree with him, you may not like him, but I want to tell you, as we get close to the elections, you must vote as an individual, as a U.S. citizen, you must vote according to biblical principles, not based upon preferences, not based upon personalities. If we based on personalities, nobody's qualified to lead. Amen? We must look at biblical principles and we must see, look at the candidates and see how much they line up with biblical principles. And we've sent some things out to you as, a, as an attendee of the church that, that will help you with that. If you didn't receive, see me after the church service and we'll get that to you. But I want you to notice, God is sovereign in his work among potentates. Look at verse 2. In verse 2 it says this, who raised up the righteous man from the east, called him to his foot, gave the nations before him, and made him rule over kings. He gave them as the dust to his sword and his driven stubble to his bow. He, he pursued them and passed safely, even by the way that he had, he had not gone with his feet. Now, God is talking about an individual there. And that individual happens to be a man by the name of Cyrus. Cyrus, as we know historically, was the king of Persia. Cyrus, if you'll notice, in chapters 44 and 45, when we get to it, Cyrus is mentioned there. Now notice in chapter 41, at the time that Isaiah was led by the Holy Spirit to write this, it was, B, it was 700 B.C. Cyrus would not be born to 599 B.C. Cyrus is being prophesied by birth and by name 101 years after this is written. When the Jews are, at this moment in time, the Jews are still, they're still under King Hezekiah. And the Jews have just received the promise from God from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 where they needed, where, where in your need of replenishment God renews you. But God is telling them a prophecy about a king that will be born, a king that would not be a Jewish king, a Gentile king, a king of the Persians. Now we read about this man Cyrus not only here, we read about him in Ezra, in, in the book of Ezra. We read about him in the book of Zechariah. We read about him in the book of Second Chronicles. I have it in your notes there. In Second Chronicles chapter 36 as described by the prophet Jeremiah that, that Cyrus Cyrus be raised up. And if we read the if we read Jewish history according to Josephus, the historian, he says that in his book called The Antiquities of the Jews, he makes mention of the fact that uh, that uh, that Cyrus that Cyrus there what uh, had picked up a scroll of the book of Isaiah and, it, and when he became king, somehow he wanted to know more about the Jewish people that, that was in the kingdom that they had taken over, which was Babylon. He wanted to know about all these Jewish settlements that happened there and these Jewish people that were thriving there in their nation. And he picked up this, this uh, he picked up the scrolls of Isaiah, which happened to be 66 chapters, and he started reading as he got to chapter 41. He said, who is this man that's being spoken of here? It says in chapter 41, verse 2, who raised up the righteous man from the east? He would come from the east and would be born in the north. North of, north of Jerusalem there. And so he read about that. He got to chapter 44 and 45. And boom, right there he sees his name. He sees his name mentioned there. And he realizes, God knew about me before I was born. And God prophesied me before I was born. And God said I would come to rule. Listen, when, I, when he saw that, as we read through Cyrus, I'm of the belief that Cyrus got born again. That Cyrus became a believer in who God was. And trusted God as the Savior. And listen, he believed so much in that, that he commissioned the Jews. You read about this in the book of Ezra. He commissioned the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. He says, now I know that you feel very settled here. But I want you to go back to Jerusalem. I want you to get resettled back in your home homeland, the place of your heritage, I want you to go there and I want you to rebuild the temple because the Babylonians had come in 70 years before and had burned down the temple and left it desecrated. So he's saying to them, I used to believe in this so much that I read about my name here in the scriptures and I read about what was going on here and I want you to go back there. And in fact, I believe in it so much. I have faith so much that you'll do this. I'll even underwrite this expedition. He said he'd pay for it. 
My, listen, we read about this. We read about the fact here that this man, Cyrus, was a potentate that God had his sovereign hand in. Let me tell you something today. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turns it whithersoever he will. Listen, brother and sister in Christ, you and I could have an amazing impact on this world if we pray for world leaders. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I will that first of all, prayers, supplications, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that authority. We must pray for these leaders. Number one, that they get saved. Number two, that they get become men of righteousness. Number two, that they would get in conformity to God's word. We need to pray for them. And this man, Cyrus, was a tool, an instrument that God raised up. And as we look through the course of history, God has showed his, poverty, his, 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 his sovereignty working through potentates. But notice in verse one, God only shows his sovereignty through potentates. God shows his sovereignty through a proclamation. Now notice, this chapter begins with a message from God. God is preaching from, through Isaiah to, to, uh, to beyond the Jews. He said, keep silence before me, O islands, and let the people renew their strength, and let them come near, then let them speak, let us come near together to judgment. Now, what's going on here? Well, God is broadening his message. Remember, I'm saying God is sovereign, he's in control. And the message of God is now going outside the realm of the Jewish people, which at that time was in Judah. And it was going outside the nations that we had studied previously about. God gave prophecies about Egypt. And he gave prophecies about Babylon and other nations there. He, he's going beyond those boundaries. And if you'll notice in verse 1, he says, Keep silence before me, O island. He's going now to the uttermost parts of the earth. He's going to the islands and places that places not even named yet. He's talking about the continents. He may be referring to the continent of Africa. He may be referring to the, the, uh, the upper northern area of Russia and the Baltic Sea area. He may be referring all the way over there to England. He may be referring to Spain. He might be referring to the isles in North America and all these different places. I mean, God, God has a message, if you would. God is sovereign his proclamation. God has a message for all the world, my friend. And I'm going to tell you today in John 3.16, the greatest message the world can hear is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, God is sovereign in his message. He wants all the world to know God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants everyone to know that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. God's word is not limited to a select group of people. God's word is for everybody today. What a proclamation. He's calling out to the peoples of the world, be silent, listen to me. He says, I'll give you strength where you've lost strength. And he says, I want you to come near to me. But you notice verse 5, the uttermost parts of the earth, the islands, did not receive it very well. Now, when God speaks to us, we all have a response. On one end, we say, yes, I agree. And we say amen to that. On another end, we say, no, I don't agree. And we fold our arms like this and say, no, I don't want to listen. On another end, we'll, we'll, we'll be here, and not very many, but some will be neutral, so I'm not sure what to decide, so I'll be kind of neutral. I'll just remind you today, when it comes to Jesus Christ, you cannot be neutral about Jesus Christ. Either you're for him or you're against him, amen? But notice here the reaction of the isles and the innermost parts of the earth, because leading before, right, right after that, God announces to them about the raising up of Cyrus the king. 
Now, you have to remember that kingdoms rise and fall, and kingdoms that come up, people that are weaker in military and weaker in economies, they're always fearful because they don't want to be conquered. They don't want to be overcome. And when they hear about this man Cyrus to be raised up, they're thinking, oh man, here comes another Nebuchadnezzar. Here comes another Caesar. Here comes another world leader that's going to take over us. Here comes another situation where maybe perhaps they're going to collapse our economy, and they're going to make us go in bondage. And the Bible tells us here that the reaction of all the world was this. The Bible says in verse 5, the isles saw it and they feared. Well, you know what that's like. Tomorrow morning you pick up the news of the stock market crashes, you're going to be fearful. You're going to think about your 401k plan, your 403b plan, your government pension, whatever you may have. You're going to be scared about that. You may pick up the paper tomorrow morning and you're going to realize that the markets are rattled every way. Real estate markets and the, and the securities markets and everything else, the commodities and all the way are all rattled. You're going to pick up the paper and find out tomorrow that something happened with the oil markets and our energy sources are all messed up. And you're going to wonder how this all means. I mean, you're going to pull all this together and wonder about what, what about our unemployment rate being up and our tax rates going up and all these types of things. I mean, when that happens. You know what happens when it's adverse news? We're just like these aisles. We get fear in our hearts. We're concerned about our future. We're concerned about our finances. We're concerned whether we're going to make it. And you get tomorrow and you wind up getting your blood test results that you had a week before and the doctor calls you up and says, I'm sorry to tell you that you've got adverse blood test results and we've got to have you come back in. You're going to have fear. The other day, my wife and I, you pray for us this week. is a very, every week's busy, but this week is extremely busy. We have someone we I had the privilege to minister to several years ago that we led to Christ and, and came to our church for a period of time. And then this person was diagnosed with a very, very serious illness. And we were with them through this whole process. They've been through a long, long journey on this illness. And we thought they were actually getting better. And then a few days ago, my wife got a phone call from this dear person. And she called up and said, Mrs. Fong. And she, she, she said in Chinese, Shimu, she said, she said, I need to talk to you. She said, here's my situation. The person's, uh, their, their situation had changed dramatically. And there was fear in their voice. Yes, they were saved, but there was fear in their voice. The other night I was home. I forgot what night it was. We were just, my wife was on the phone with the husband and talking with the husband and we're walking through something. We said, we, we got to get over to see them because we just realized because of all these things are unfolding just in a few days that the condition had gotten very worse and we wanted to get over this quickly as possible. We said, yeah, I, mean, I told my wife, I said, well, maybe I need to just cancel my, my staff meetings tomorrow morning. We probably ought to get over there tomorrow and go see them. And as soon as we did, my wife had just put down the phone. Then I, my phone went off. My phone goes off. I pick up the phone. It happens to be the hospital. I was listed as a contact person. The hospital picked the, 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 the doctor on the phone and says, are you Alan Fong? And I said, yes. He he says, well, I need to tell you. And he told me the name of the person. He says, I'm sorry to tell you, this person's passed away. And I, I'm going to tell you right at that moment. I thought, wow. It was a bittersweet moment. I thought for a moment, this person is saved. And I'm thankful they're in heaven. There's no more suffering. But I thought about their family members, the situation they're in. And I thought about the fear that's in their hearts. And, and that some of the family members, even ourselves, we didn't even get, get the chance to go by to say goodbye and have a word, one more word of prayer with them. And I thought about the, the fears that go through their hearts. And these people had fears because they were told this kingdom was going to come up. And they had fears. And you know, when you have fear, you've got to be very careful how you react to fear. And in the reaction, you'll notice here, if you go down here to verses uh, 7 and 8, instead of coming to God, which God, that's what he said to them in verse 1. He says, I want you to come to God. And that's what God tells you when adverse things come to your life. God doesn't want you running from him. God wants you running to him. But they took this adverse, this adverse news, this bad news, and you know what they did? They ran away. They said, you know what? We better go make us other gods. And so the Bible tells us here, notice verse 7, it says here, the carpenter encouraged the goldsmith, and they, got, they conspired together. And they said, okay, we realize we're in a bad situation. We've got these idols that we're worshiping. So you know what we need to do? We need to make more idols that we can worship to. Hey, listen, America's not very far from that. When people get bad news, you know what they do? On one extreme, when they get bad news, they drink, they get drunk. 
On another extreme, they get all drugged up and they get high. On another extreme, they get, they get very depressed and they, get on, they decide they want to go on antidepressant medication. And they go from antidepressant medication, they become suicidal. I mean, they go through all these different extremes of things. And they, they withdraw themselves and they have no appetite. And they can't sleep at night and they don't want to have, they're antisocial. And they don't want to do anything with people. They pull themselves away. I mean, when you're filled with fear, you make all these, these, these very strange, strange reactions that you normally would not do. God is sovereign in potentates. God is sovereign in his proclamation. God is sovereign in a people. Notice verse 8. Now I'm going somewhere. Hang with me. The uttermost parts of the earth were concerned. But now God brings us back to his people. In the Old Testament, the Jews were his people. Now, when I say his people, they were a called out people. They were redeemed people. How many understand what I mean by the word redeemed? Redeemed means God bought them out. Amen. They were under the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. If you're saved, you're under the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Nothing could take you out of the hand of God. And so... They were his people in the Old Testament. They were to declare his glory and they were to manifest who, that, that God was working in their lives there. But, uh, and so, but now in the Old New Testament now, God, God's raised up the church. We are his people. By the way, aren't you glad this morning that if you're saved, you're the people of God? We're his people. We're his people. We're his congregation. We're the sheep of his pasture. But his people here, God went to his people because he knew just as the isles and the inmost parts of the earth were very concerned and scared and terrified by the message. You know what happened? God's people felt the same way because you know what's going through their thoughts? Now, you've raised up this man Cyrus. Is he going to do to us like Nebuchadnezzar? Are there still some, is there still some chastising God you're going to do to us? And God, is there still more punishment we've got to go through? I mean, God, well, and they, they became concerned. They became scared. Listen, sometimes as Christians, some of us, just the way we're wired, we get scared very easy. We're kind of like the, little, the book I grew up with as a little kid kid, Freddy cat. We're like that little Freddy cat. You get afraid about everything that goes on there. And you notice their reaction here, that they were very fearful and God had to speak to them to comfort them. But what I want to say to you today, God spoke to his people and he said in verse 8, he says, but thou Israel art my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Listen, God had a people in the Old Testament and the people were the Jews beginning with Abraham. The Hebrew race began with Abraham and he called Abraham his friend. By the way, today I'm thankful to say to you and I that we are also the friends of God. He called Abraham his friend and he referred to Jacob who was the grandson of Abraham because the covenant not only went to Abraham, the covenant of God went to Isaac and went to his grandson Jacob. And with Jacob there, he's speaking to them at that moment of time because Jacob represents weakness and smallness and insignificance there. God is a people. God chose his sovereignty. And I remind you, God beyond all his creation, which is wonderful, and the greatness of the stars, and the greatness of the galaxies, and the greatness of the oceans, and the greatness of the mountains. Listen, all those things are great. You know what God's more concerned with? and what's, What matters more to God than just the mountains, and the stars, and the constellation, and the revolutions of the, of the earth around the sun, and all those kind of things? You know what really matters to God more than all of those things? You matter more to God. God is a people. A people that he loves, a people that he invests in, a people that he cares about, a people that he's, he's, he's more concerned about your future than you are. And so we see the sovereign preeminence of God is our first assurance. But quickly, notice the second assurance. And this is the part I want you to notice. Notice in the second assurance, there's not only the sovereign preeminence, but you notice the sustaining presence of God. 
Because here is God's people there. They reminded that they are his servant in verse 8 and in verse 9. And that he had chosen and that he's not going to throw them away. And that they were his seed. And that he, was, he called them Abraham, my friend. You're the descendant of Abraham. As Abraham was my friend, so are you my friend. And so you have to imagine as we get to the second point now. The Jews are petrified with fear. They are scared. They I mean, they're paranoid. They're not sure which way to go. They don't know sure what to do. And God, at that moment in time, he recognized their fear. He recognized their insignificance and their weakness. And he says, listen, he said, listen, Jacob, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will hold thee with the right of my righteousness. You know what God was saying there? You don't have to be afraid because I am with you. And you don't have to be afraid because God is with you. College student, you're going through a final and you know that that's one of your toughest subjects and you know if you don't ace that subject or you don't get a good grade, you're not going to make it the next level. I remind you, whether you make it or not, God is still with you. I remind you today, you might be in a secure job today and tomorrow you might lose that job. Your job might be eliminated. They may go away. Don't fool yourself. The economy is getting any better. It may get worse and you might wind up realizing your job was shipped out to somewhere else or closed up and you're not sure what to do for a job and you might be in an age and place where you can't even, you can't even find another job equal to what you had before and you feel like everything's gone out from under you but I remind you today you might feel like things are bad but God is with you you might feel at a place where you're going undergoing a series of health treatments and health problems and you feel all alone you feel like you feel like there's nobody with you and let me tell you when you're going through treatments of some kind and you're going through surgery there's nobody with you but you you're just all there by yourself but I remind you today you are not there by yourself as God's child God is with you in that surgery room God is with you when you're going through that treatment God is with you when you have that fear you might be lost up and feel like you're all shuttered in and not sure where to go. But I remind you, you're not all by yourself. You have a God in heaven who promises you his presence. He said, fear thou not. Don't you be afraid. I am with you. Listen today. God is with you and God will not leave you. Notice in verse 10 and the following verses. God gives us his pledge. It's unchangeable. It doesn't matter the circumstance. It's his pledge. God gives us his presence. I am with you. I am with you. Be not afraid. God gives us his person. I am thy God. What a personal way of knowing. He's your God. Your God that you worship, you God, your God that you pray to, your God that you love. He says, I am thy God. He gives us his power. He says, I will strengthen thee, I will help thee, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Listen, the, there's a compound name of God that goes by this, Eliezer. And Eliezer means God is my help. And God was saying here, I'm Eliezer, I'm God your help. God is there to help you. God will give you strength. Listen, there are going to be some days you're going to come to life, you're going to feel so weak, you're going to feel like you're helpless, you feel like you can't even get up and get going on, but God says he'll strengthen you, God says he'll help you, and God will give you strength strength and help. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, he said he'd replenish us, he'd said he'd renew us. But listen, now he's talking about in Isaiah 41, 10, at a place where you and I are so weak and so, so just, we're just so overcome and so burdened down. But he says, I will help you, I will sustain you, I will lift you up. Listen, I don't know about everybody watching this morning. You might be going through a trial and a difficulty. You might be at the end of yourself. You're just not sure what to do and you're, you're plagued with just some really, really dark thoughts. I want to tell you today, why don't you claim Isaiah 41, 10 and realize today that God is with you and God is for you. Notice something else he says here. God promises here in that situation, I'm going to protect you. 
He said in verse 10, Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing. And they that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them and shall not find them, even them that contend with thee. You know what he's saying there? I know you've got your enemies, and I know you've got your adversaries, and I know you've got your critics, and I know you've got people that are against you. But he says, I want to tell you something. If you'll just hang in there, if you'll just stay with it, I'm there to protect you, and I'm there to help you, and I'm there to strengthen you. And I want you to know, there'll come a point in time where you're going to realize they're nothing. And that's what problems are. If you give it to God, they're nothing. They're nothing before God. Your problem and my problem, no matter what it is, it's nothing before God. Why? Because God is sovereign and God is great. Then notice, you go down a little bit further. And he talks about holding us by our right hand. He said, fear not, I will help thee. I mean, it's almost like God talking to a little child there. Then he makes this interesting statement, which you notice verse 14. Fear not, thou worm Jacob, ye men of Israel. Now, if you read this like we would in American literature, you would think, wow, he's making a derogatory statement against Jacob or Israel. You call him a worm. Now, I realize worms are good for your, for your soil. I, I understand all that. They aerate the soil and all those kind of things. But I hate worms. Amen? How many feel like me? They're only good for fishing. Amen? You know? <clears throat> I hate worms. I hate worms that crawl on me. Amen? You know? And when you think about a worm, you think about something that's just squishy and small and helpless and insignificant, weak, something you can crush. And the statement God is using about Jacob is not being derogatory. He says, Jacob, that's how you feel. Listen, Job makes a statement about that. Job 25, 6 says, how much less man that is a worm and the son of man, which is a worm. Jesus made this statement when he was on the cross. Psalms, uh, uh, Psalms 22, verse 6, I believe it is. In Psalms 22, verse 6, Jesus said this as he was dying on the cross. That I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despise of people. You know what he's saying there? Jacob, I understand where you're at. You feel just like a worm. You feel like you're small and insignificant and despicable and you have no friends and you feel like you're on the verge of someone, they've got their foot raised about to step on you and crush you. But you know what God has to say about that? Look again at it. He says, Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel. I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I'm with thee. I will help thee. I will strengthen thee. I will hold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Last week we had a, one of our church members was here this morning. Called my wife and said, Mrs. Fawn, we have a friend. I have a friend as a customer of mine that is going through a really terrible time. And can you help them? And she described the situation to my wife. And I was working on some sermons and some other things and some calls and my wife gave me a note. She says, hey, you get a chance. Gave me the lady's name. And she says, would you call this lady up? And I didn't ask my wife what time I should call her, which was kind of dumb on my part. She said, well, what time should I call now? Whatever. So I said, I'll, I'll call at 2. I need to finish this one thing, and I'll call at 2. Whether I finish it or not, I'll call at 2 o'clock. I called just a little bit after 2 p.m. last, I think it was last Tuesday or Wednesday. And when I made the call, I told the lady my name, and our common friend. And the lady, I don't know how to describe her. I mean, she didn't know me from Adam. She was very frantic on the phone. 
Oh, oh, yes, my friend told me about you. I don't even know where to begin. And she just started crying. I had it on speakerphone. My wife could testify. My wife heard this. She just started crying, almost wailing. This was so bad. With COVID, we had to shut down our business. We had no revenue, but our landlord wasn't kind. He didn't help us with the rent. We still had to pay full rent. I've had no business for days. I've had no customers. I don't know how much longer we can go like this. She said, I still have to pay my rent and pay the utilities. I've got to do things. And we're open here, but people are afraid to come in and people to do things. She says, you don't know how bad it is. And she just started wailing and crying. And, you know, and I'll be honest with you, that moment of time, I didn't even know what to tell the lady. I'm not going to tell her, well, you know, if you get saved, God will change your business. That's not how God works. You need to get saved whether God, God changes your business or not. Amen? You need to get saved because you must be born again. And I was praying, ask God, please, God, help me to have the right words, words of compassion and mercy and what to say. And I'm telling you right now, this moment, at that moment, I felt really, really not sure what to say. And as I said that, I heard a, a bell. My wife and I heard a bell, and the door had opened, and she had a customer that came in. And she started conversing with the customer while she was talking with me. And I said, man, I must have called you at a bad time. I said, this is probably not a good time. Would, it, would you prefer I call you right back? She says, yes, could you call me back up? And I said, what time? She said, well, could you call me after 6? I said, I'll call you back after 6. Actually, I think it was last Thursday. I called her around 6.10. She was, when she picked up the phone, and I said who I was, announced my name, her tone of voice was totally different from the beginning. When I called her at 2, she was falling apart. <coughs> when I called her at 6.10, she was like on cloud nine. She was happy. She said, oh, I'm so glad you called. I've got some news to tell you. I said, what happened? She says, you know, that customer came in and... Uh, you won't believe this, but this lady spent more money today than I've had in weeks, in a single week. I had my best sale, one of my best sales ever today on one customer, and God, I could kind of see light at the end of the tunnel. She said, I'm sorry, I apologize, I was not very polite to you. And I said, no, you weren't rude to me. And she said, no, I was crying on the phone, I was beside myself, didn't know what to do. I was just, she said, she said sir, I, she called me father, I'm not father, I'm pastor, you know. But she called me father, just so in case if you call me that, I'm not father, you call me, call me my first man, I'm not father, amen, you know. And she said, uh, I have so many fears. And then she helped me transition. She said, well, you know, our friend told me that you're going to call. How can you help me? I said, I can't help you, but I know somebody who can. I told her the wonderful story about God's son, Jesus Christ. My wife and I took extra time. We were going back and forth and talk, sharing with her the gospel. We probably spoke, what, for an hour and 15 minutes. At the end of an hour and 15 minutes, this lady by the name of Olivia, she says, Pastor... Whatever's the right thing to do, I want to do it today. She repented of her sins and by faith called on the Lord Jesus Christ to save her. I said, I can't promise you your problems are going to go away. But I can promise you he's with you. I texted her the next day. I said, how are you doing? She says, Pastor, you won't believe this. I had my best night's sleep I've ever had. I slept very well. She says, I'm at peace with everything going on. I have some friends here today. Lady that from the state of Washington got saved in November. Her daughter, while COVID-19 was going on, I, I called, I, they asked me to speak with her daughter. Her daughter was just going through a lot of anxiety, a lot of just tough times. And we spoke with her. And since that day when she accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, she tells my wife every time we, we talk with her, she says, I have peace in my heart. I can sleep at night. I don't have these troubles, anxieties anymore. I'm so thankful Jesus Christ came into my heart. Praise God. Amen.
Fear not. I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. Yea, I will hold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Let me show you real quickly. I'm almost done. You know what God's saying there? First of all, have faith in him. He says, I'm your God. He says, I'm with you. First thing God tells us, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. You don't, have to be, you don't have to worry. I'm with you. And then he said, you know what? He, I know you're weak. You feel like the worm Jacob. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to give you the moral fiber you need, the spiritual fiber you need to get you up. I'll strengthen you. Then he said, you know what? Not only am I going to give you strength, I'm going to help you. Not about you, but when you get a little bit older in life, you, you tend to say, I don't need help. You know what? When you're really needy, you need help. Amen? You need help. I have to do that with my little granddaughter every now and then. She, she acts like she doesn't need help. I said, I said, Gong Gong is going to help you whether you want it or not. Amen? I'm going to help you. Amen? You know? I'm going to help you eat, help you go, whatever it might be. And she's really good about it. But you know what? Sometimes we feel like we don't need help. God says, I will help you. And you know what? We should never turn God down when he says he's going to help us. Amen? He says, you know what? I know you how you feel. You have insecurities. You have lack of confidence. I'll tell you how to do better than that. I'm going to do more than strengthen you. I'm going to do more than help you. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hold you with the right hand of my righteousness. I'm going to hold you by the hand, and no one's going to take you out of my hand. Corey Tenboom said this. There is no pit so deep that he's not deeper still. Are you in a tough spot? God is with you. Going through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with you. Going through some uncertainties, he's with you. Not sure how your business plan is going to turn out? He's with you. You're fearful about things folding up in your life? Listen, he's with you. He said he's with you and he'll help you and strengthen you through all of that. Finally, one last thing. We see his sustaining presence quickly. I need to close. Now, I want you to see this as we close because this is, the, this, this is really good too. We see his sovereign preeminence. We see his sustaining presence. But notice in verses 15 to 20, and I've got to give this to you quickly. Notice how God pulls it all together. We see his satisfying practices. God doesn't give you lip service. God does what he says he's going to do. Amen. He doesn't just say, I'm going to do this for you. He does it. And he does it better than you and I could write it up. He does it better than you and I could manuscript the story. He, God is there for you. Notice how he does it. In verses 15 and 20, there are three things he tells us. Number one, he tells us he makes us more than conquerors over our circumstances. Look at verses 15 and 16. You read it while I'm talking. In verse 15, he makes us save. He's already told him, I'm going to be with you. He says, I'm going to make you. In other words, he says, I'm going to transform you. I'm going to make you like a sharp, threshing instrument. Now, we don't really get it because we're not, unless you're a farmer, or come out of farming background, or you're like Brother Jesus Hernandez, who is a landscaper, some of our landscapers. You don't understand that. But landscapers and farmers know the importance of having sharp, threshing instruments. You ever cut the hedges with dull blades? They don't cut. You ever try to trim a hedge with an with electric, electric saw? It doesn't work if, it doesn't, if, it, if, it's not, if, if it's not sharp. They've got to be sharp. So God is using, a, is using a metaphor they can understand. I'm going to make you like a sharp, threshing new instrument. It's going to be new, never used. And he says, what you're going to do, you're going to take this sharp, threshing instrument. And the best analogy I could give you would be like a, like a bandsaw, a very sharp new bandsaw or handsaw. And he says, you're going to cut through mountains. 
You, you get what I'm saying? He's saying, you're, I'm gonna, you're gonna cut through mountains, and as you cut through mountains, you're gonna cut them in small pieces, and they're gonna be such small pieces that after you've cut through that, he says in verse 16, he says, you're going to, you'll fan them in the wind to carry them away. Now what's God saying there? He's saying, I know your circumstances feel like an immovable mountain. They feel like solid rock granite that you can't do anything with, and they did not have dynamite in those days, and they had no kind of explosives or TNT or anything like that. He says, what I'm going to do is make you like a sharp threshing instrument that's gonna cut away at the problem. Them, that's going to cut away the core of things and it's going to be cut down so small that you can just fan it away. You can just go like this and fan it away and it will blow away like the chain. You know what God is saying? I'm going to make you, you know, I'm going to help you through your problem so that you can feel like you, you can overcome this circumstance with the same way a new threshing instrument can break down a mountain. You know what I say to that? Praise God. God knows how to give us the right power we need at the right time. Here's the second thing he says. In verses 17 to 18, he uses the analogy of being poor and needy and thirsting. He says, uh, when the poor and needy seek water, they're dying for thirst, he's saying. He says, their their tongue failing for thirst. He says, I will hear you. Now, the second thing I want you to notice here, God promises to restore and replenish our thirsting and depleted souls. You know, when you're going through circumstances that are tough, you know what happens? Not only are you physically depleted, you're spiritually depleted. When you're filled with worry and anxiety, I promise you, you're going to be spiritually depleted. When you've gone through a season of deep grief and sorrow, you are depleted spiritually. And God is saying, I understand, you're poor and needy, you're broken, and you're like, you're dying for thirst. He's talking about spiritually. But he says, I will hear you. You know what he's saying there? You, you're praying, you're praying, you're praying. God, get me out of this mess. God, get me out of this circumstance. God says, I hear you. I hear you loud and clear. I hear you. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? In verse, verse 18, he says here, I will open rivers in high places. Now, if you know anything about mountains, there are, you don't find rivers in mountains. I mean, the only time you see, uh, you see anything of water coming down is after, after the snow melts when water starts descending. But after, you just don't find regular river flows in mountains in most situations there. You mainly find them in, in flat places and valleys there. And he says, you know what God is saying there? I will make rivers in high places, especially in the, in the Judean mountainside because there's, you just don't have mountains up there because of the elevation and the aridness. He says, I will open rivers in high places. And he says, I'll put fountains in the midst of the valleys. In other words, I'll put deep, deep wells where there are valleys. He says, normally you can't find wells in valleys, but I'll put a fountain there. I'll put a well there. So he says, I'm going to do something that you're not used to. I'm going to give you rivers in high places, fountains in valleys. He says, I will make the wilderness a pool of water. In other words, he says, I'll turn your wilderness setting into an oasis. Now, I don't know about you. I don't like necessarily going to deserts for vacation. Amen. Because all you find in deserts are tumbleweeds, and cactus, and foxes, and rattlesnakes, and a whole lot of other things like that. It's just, you know, some people like it. I don't mind driving through it. I don't just have no desire of wanting to camp out there and hang down. I don't like the temperature swings, any of that stuff. And you know, a desert place in life can be tough, but God does some of the greatest things when you go through the desert place of life. He makes streams in the desert. And you know what he's saying there? Look at, look at later on. He says the third thing. As you go through the desert place of life, he says, in your wilderness setting, verse 19, I will plant cedar trees, shittah trees, myrtle trees, oil trees. And he says, in that desert setting, I'll put fir trees and the pine tree in the box. You know what he's saying there? I will take your barren, fruitless situation you've been going through because you feel so depleted, you feel so desperate, you feel such like a failure. He says, you know what? Just trust me. If you'll let my presence abide with you and you let me help you, he says, I'll turn your wilderness into a fir fruitful setting. Now you know what God is saying there? God cares for you. God loves you. 
God's in control. God knows that. He just wants you to pour your heart out to him. He wants you to know that his presence is there and that he'll help you and he'll sustain you and he'll see you through all of these circumstances of life. You know what I have to say to that? What a mighty God we serve. Amen. And look at verse 20. That they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord. Now we're talking about his sovereignty. That the hand of the Lord has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. Why do we have trials and hard times and difficulties? That we may see and know and understand that God is a personal God. Who works in our life to show himself strong. As I close this morning, fear thou not. His presence is with you. You don't have to pray for his presence. His presence is with you. Amen. He's sustaining you. He's there to help you. To strengthen you. Even in your weakened state to hold you by your right hand and to get you through that. He knows we feel like an insignificant worm. But he says, I will help you. And when he says... He'll help you and you will let him hold you by the hand. He fills up our depleted soul. He makes our fruitless, arid life fruitful and abounding because we're trusting in him. As I close this morning, have faith in God. Brother, sister in Christ, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Now, what does that all mean if you're not a believer? Well, it means this. A believer in Jesus Christ not only has believed with their head, but they've believed with their heart. And what you must believe in your heart is that God loves you, and he doesn't want you to spend eternity in hell. He wants you to get saved so you can spend eternity in heaven. And the way to get saved is to recognize you have sin. You must repent that you're a sinner, like that lady I spoke about earlier. She came from a religious background, but she came to realization. Light bulb went on. She said, oh, I get it. It's not religion I need. It's a relationship I need. It's not religion. It's not the church. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. He can save you from your sins. And if you just by faith would take Jesus Christ right now as your Savior, He will take away your sins. You'll be forgiven. And He'll prepare a place in heaven for you. You know, I'm thankful this week as I'll be doing a memorial service, I can testify to unsaved family members about a God who saved a dear precious person and they're in heaven right now, the place that Jesus Christ has reserved for them. And Christ wants to make sure you have a place reserved today on this fourth day of October, you can be born again into God's family. You can be certain today that today could become your spiritual birthday by calling on the name of the Lord to save you.